0: I'm Betsy Kaplan here with Kion Wolf asking uh, during your podcast. I'm not sure what time you're listening (laughs) to this, but we're glad you tune in. We're glad you tune in, I hope, every day, but whenever you can. So give us a call. But you have to support the show. We can't do it without your support. 1-800-584-2788. Go online at WNPR.org.
2: And just like you made the great decision to listen to this podcast, please continue to make great decisions by being a member or renewing your membership. If you don't remember the last time you renewed your membership, then it's probably time to renew it.
0: That's a problem.
2: <laughs> it's a problem. But you're going to solve it because you're a public radio listener, and that's what you do. So call 1-800-584-2788 or go to WNPR.org slash donate. And, and thank you. Enjoy the podcast.
3: Welcome, welcome. Unless you're still uh, putting on your joker makeup to get ready for this uh, conversation we're going to have here, Uh, welcome to the nose. Uh, joining us today are James Hanley, co-founder of Cine Studio at Trinity College, uh, Irene Papoulis, uh, who teaches writing at the self-same Trinity College, and Pedro Soto, who is president and CEO of High Grade Precision Technologies. <laughs> at last, we can say the name. It was a secret <laughs> project. We thought it was, had, had something to do with Brad Pitt's father for a really long time, but it doesn't. Well, we don't know that, actually. We don't, even, what, we, we don't know what high grade precision technologies does.
1: That p- precision grinding and lapping um, for a variety of industries, particularly in aerospace.
3: So like, you know, so sending people to find their father. Yes, space parts are, are there. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. OK, so um, and I should mention that because I know people like to get ready for certain things. And this one is it may be worth it. Um, we're going to do an unusual thing on October 25th. Uh, usually on the nose, it's uh, movies, it's uh, streaming things, mm-hmm. it's television. Sometimes it's music, sometimes it's other stuff. But. Um we're going to do a book, which takes a little bit more planning a little bit more work. And we are all reading – I've already finished reading The Institute, the new Stephen King uh, novel. Uh, so right before Halloween on Friday, October 25th, we will be talking about that. When I say rich, uh, we, I mean Rich Grosso – Chris Crosso, excuse me, Rich Holland and Julia Pistel will be on the news that day. OK. So t- today we've seen two different movies. One of them we most of us saw a while ago um, uh, and the other we saw quite recently. So in the second segment today, we're going to talk about Toy Story 4, which is the one we saw a while ago. Uh, but we have been to see The Joker. Uh, and uh, this is, of course, uh, an origin story. Joaquin Phoenix is Arthur Fleck. Uh, let's hear – there are no clips. It's one of these movies you can't get clips from. The only thing you can get is maybe a little piece uh, of the trailer. So that's what we'll do. Uh, you're going to hear first are the uh, um, Arthur Fleck, who has, ha- has some kind of physically compulsive neurological laughing condition. So you hear him talking to a social worker. Uh, and then you're going to be hearing him talk to uh, Robert De Niro as Murray Franklin, a, a TV talk show host, maybe loosely based on Joe Franklin. Uh, I don't know. Anyway, here's a little of that.
0: Arthur, I have some bad news for you. <laughs> this is the last time we'll be meeting.
4: You don't listen, to do you? You just ask the same questions every week. How's your job? Are you having any negative thoughts? All oh, I have are negative
3: thoughts. In a world where everyone thinks they can do my job, check out this guy. When
4: I was a little boy and told people I was going to be a comedian, everyone laughed at me. Well, no one's laughing now.
5: You can say that again, pal.
4: For my whole life, I didn't know if I even really existed. But I do. To uh, Murray, one small thing. Yeah. When you bring me out, can you introduce me as Joker?
3: All right. So this is sort of a Batman movie, I guess. The way Rosenkrantz and Guildenstern are dead is sort of a Hamlet play. Um, <laughs> you know, not <laughs> see Batman. Um, so Irene, I'm going to have we're we're somewhat divided on the panel, which is good. I, I think we're not. on the same page about this movie. We should say the movie has excited all kinds of controversy. Uh, First, uh, it got just uh, an enormous ovation and some big wins at the Venice Film Festival. But then there was some bounce back from that. There uh, there was a backlash against that and a lot of criticisms of the movie and worries also that the movie might be uh, an inciting kind of artistic product, uh, might in fact uh, give unhappy um, socially quarantined... Loners, um, some ideas about what they could do about their circumstances. I guess that's sort of what it is. All I know is there were in the movie theater I went to. There were signs warning people not to come in costumes. Um, all right, so Irene, once you get us started, what did the how did this movie land with you?
0: Um, all right, well, I, 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 yeah, I had only heard that it was vapid and horrible and violent and miserable, you know, and so I thought, oh no, I don't, I'm not going to enjoy this, but. I didn't find it to be any of those things. I found it to be um, quite moving. And um, so I can explain why later, but I, I liked it.
3: All right. Uh, so <laughs> we'll, we will develop some of those ideas as we go along. James, you, based on our emails, maybe not so much.
5: Not really. Um, I I guess if I was called upon to sort of describe my reaction, it was that it was portentous and sort of collapsing under its own weight, um, I think it has great performances in it and it has interesting aspects to it but it doesn't have to me a clear reason for being in that uh, on the one hand if it's an origins movie for a superhero f- for a superhero series then it is also uh something that has far too much comp- complicated detail with a character who to me is not really believable. And the film descends at the end into a kind of chaos that is, that, that goes, that takes apart any of the underpinning that has been laid at the beginning. And I find that, I think it's kind of um, a sad thing for me to see Joaquin Phoenix, who's a really great actor, play that part really well, but not take it to a to a place that's anything more than a sort of chaotic, uh, you know, a disaster of everything falling apart. And really, um, I I sort of think that when they put it in the Venice Film Festival— that had it been made by I don't know François Ozon or something like that, and it was an auteur movie, and it was a you know a French a, 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 a French creepy story, it would actually be kind of interesting. But when it's accompanied by a massive publicity machine, and I think a lot of manipulation of the coverage, a realization, for example, that you have to. Be careful if a film is lauded as this magnificent success at the beginning that you need to leaven that with some negative reviews. And I think that that's been part of a campaign here to create, uh, shall we say, more fire than there really is.
3: Well, if so, it's worked. I mean, the movie's making <laughs> yeah. kazillions yeah, of, absolutely. A, a, yeah. of dollars. So Pedro, how about you?
1: Um, you know, I I actually, I, I liked it. I think it was similar to my reaction to Ad Astra a few weeks ago, where I mean, there are parts of the movie, the music, the score, um, you know, Joaquin Phoenix, the cinematography. It's just really, really well done. Um, but underneath that, in terms of the story, it wasn't anything, I think, unique or, or groundbreaking that, that I think we don't deserve to be told. I think it was, um, you know, an interesting interesting take on, on kind of how we got the Joker. But, you know, we, we've seen a few interesting takes on that. So, So I I think I'm sort of more team populace on this. And to me, I I tend
3: not – I tend to less so than James or Pedro. I think I tend to notice production a little bit less. Mm -hmm. But to me also, production – if it's noticeable, it also better be organic to the story you're telling. And I thought, you know, the, first of all, this depiction of you know really is they say Gotham City. It's New York City in 1981, like really kind of recognizably New York City in 1981 in a very sort of fantastic and disturbing way. And and so I, I thought, I mean, the director of this is the guy who's known for the Hangover movie, so I was not expecting this kind of splashy, unnerving visual and sonic uh, assault that you know really sort of. Kind of seized me, and and Irene, I'm you know to, I'm with you that also I think we both see this as you know Rilke talks about how uh, a monster is often just something that's wounded and in need of care. Uh, there's a way in which, although we it's not meant to excite our sympathies ultimately for the Joker or Arthur or how he plays out uh, his destiny, but you can at least sit in this see this isolated, wounded guy who has been really sort of, of, he's bereft of all resources. His mother's crazy. His backstory uh, is full of lies and holes and anybody he turns to for help turns him down.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, uh, yeah, I, I'm a sucker for stories about failure, you know, like people who have passions and um, desires and just longing to be sort of, longing to express themselves in some way and who get completely thwarted by the culture that they're part of. And I feel like that's what, this is about in many ways you know he doesn't the one thing that someone gives him is something that 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 leads him to to all this horrible stuff you know and because no one gave him anything else and so yeah like he's he's he you know does he have any choice and it's kind of interesting the way the movie, I think, you know, because he has this, these you know, like the way he danced, that's what I just loved about Joaquin Phoenix is He's very acting. stylized, mannered, it's dancing. beautiful, you know, and it's sort of like you can just see the person, the artist that, that, that is, you know, completely incapable of having any expression because of the circumstances around him, uh, which I thought was really interesting.
3: There's so much to talk about with this movie, because also, I think it does bear the the weight uh, of a bunch of other movies ranging from Heath Ledger's performance uh, as as the Joker in The Dark Knight uh, to, I mean, James, this this in a weird way is kind of a Scorsese love letter. I mean, there are aspects of Travis Bickle and Arthur Fleck, but also there's this really almost uncomfortably on-the-nose evocation of King of Comedy with, with De Niro flipping into the other role. Now he's got the Jerry Lewis
5: part uh, and Rupert Pupkin is the Joker. Uh, what did you make of that? Well I think that that shows somebody who's certainly conscious of these films that have gone before but I think you ha- one of my quarrels with the movie really is how that is used it's one thing to s- to lay down a reference of a character from a previous movie or a- another movie entirely or for instance there are references to Charlie Chaplin in modern mm-hmm. times and in fact you reference the dancing uh, I mean he does a dance like Charlie Chaplin at one point Uh, And those are really – they're sort of like symbols and I feel that in movies now they are sprinkled in as a sort of like a a touchstone to give the movie some sort of link to something maybe more serious. Maybe people think of it in a more serious way. But the question is what do you do with it? And uh, one of uh, – just as an example would be, um, for instance, the use of masks in the film which actually, um, you know, it's coincidental, of course, the film was made long before what's happening in Hong Kong Mm -hmm. where people are using masks so that facial recognition doesn't get them arrested. And it's a really serious thing. Um, But actually, during the making of this movie, certainly facial recognition was an issue and people were wearing masks. And the way that the mask wearing in this movie is used is a kind of arbitrary horrifying thing about badly behaving people not really like, like street rioting for example without really having a reason for it and much as I enjoy references to things like uh, Taxi Driver or or you know any any other movie that's in here and there are lots of movie references the question is what you do with it and I I, I have a feeling that we're getting to a stage now where it is so knowing and so preloaded as it were that it's not necessarily been thought out. You, I guess I would say you needed a better writer here to link these things because certainly Joaquin Phoenix was capable of the performance, of clearly. Yeah. And the question is, what do you do it? What do you, what do you say about it? And at the end of the movie, there's a descent into chaos and with the masks and all of these symbols. And at the end of it, I found myself saying, OK, so what was that for? why uh, you know where where was that taking it and that's the that's the problem i think with something that is both a commercial product like a uh, like a, a superhero basis movie if you like and a huge campaign and masses of numbers of people going to see it and a director who might be tempted to encourage a writer to be more nuanced about it
0: though i think it i would say that it was going somewhere it was you know the film was taking it somewhere in the sense of you know, the way that people can can seize on something like this idea of this guy wants to be a joker and he's our hero. And I don't want to say any spoilers, but, you know, it just seems like there's that seemed very, you know, that kind of made sense to me. I as, agree as with a, that. As a misinterpretation. Yeah, I right. Yes, yeah. I, I agree with you, but I don't think that it took it from there. So when you say what took it, you mean sort of like offered. What would taking it, taking well, it from taking it be- somewhere
5: was like it, when you're presented with what you just described, you're really doing a character study, mm-hmm. and that suggests that the movie probably won't end with a bang, mm-hmm. that you'll have a more mm-hmm. nuanced ending, maybe ambiguity. But the movie is a superhero movie, so it has to end with a bang. And so it takes away then to me from that very character, that that very character that has been developed.
3: See, Pedro, I'm still struggling with whether or not this is a superhero movie. In some ways, I feel like this is a movie – this movie is kind of a period at the end of a long long superhero sentence i mean we've been immersed in and i grew up as a comic book nerd and i'm exhausted <laughs> uh, i just can't watch these movies anymore you know and this is this feels to me like something of an overthrow both in the sense that um, well, I mean, first of all, it, it attempts to puncture one of the major Batman myths: Thomas mm-hmm. Wayne, father of Batman, instead of being this beautiful doomed socialite, is kind of Donald Trump. He's just a mm-hmm. big swaggering, unsympathetic jerk, uh, which is kind of an interesting view. But also, you know, we should, we have to talk about Heath Ledger. Heath Ledger, who gave this amazing performance in The Dark Knight, but it was what it was really a very supernatural performance and a very uh, postmodern performance too. I thought, like I. I remember sitting in the movie theater and thinking, if I turn to my left, he might be sitting in the seat (laughs) next to me, leering at me. The screen wasn't even containing him anymore. And this is so much more human scaled, right? This is a guy who is losing his welfare caseworker and he's going Mm. off his meds and stuff like that. I mean, he just seems very much more at the scale of us as opposed to superheroes.
1: It is. And I mean, it's interesting to see because DC has had Really a lot of problems recently launching kind of their cinematic universe, um, whereas obviously Marvel has made all the money ever um, so you know I think for them to do something like this um, is probably an attempt to bring some relevancy to their characters um, by saying look let's let's take the joker and let's see what we can do and kind of push the push the limits um, I think it's also similar to um the movie Logan um mm-hmm. you know in terms of that, and it's it's sort of a similar when you're saying sort of the end of a you know the sentence it's I think that the d c universe at some point is going to get upended and, and rethought out um, and at that point as well, kind of the x men universe um, was also pretty much a failure at that point and and so they kind of let the authors you know loose to kind of do some different things with it, so um you know as a superhero movie it is odd but it is weird to see especially as someone who's a fan of these movies So all of a sudden you know after sort of seeing this great character study then all of a sudden it's like oh here's wayne manor and there's bruce wayne and oh that right i forgot that that's you know part of this so you know it's kind of weird to to have that in the movie but if you take it out you know what do you have yeah, I, I mean
3: I sort of liked upending the control that superheroes have over superhero narratives too. You know, mm-hmm. I mean I mean basically yeah. uh, for the most part the superheroes are telling you it's it's the victors write the history obviously but uh, I I sort of liked getting a, a related story that had I wasn't longing Irene to see Batman come into this story.
5: No.
0: Well, yeah, <laughs> neither was I as so you know, because I don't really, I'm not, I don't really know very much about superheroes, but, um, but I did, I agree about, I did see Heath Ledger in that performance and I, mm-hmm. and I think it was really interesting to think about the different, like this guy is just a guy, mm-hmm. the Joker, you mm-hmm. know, as a Joker, he, he, you know, anything, anything diabolical is just kind of like. a sign of being messed
1: up as opposed to like a real desire for— Right, agent of chaos. Yes, exactly. Force of nature, which is what Heath Ledger is.
3: James, I mean, you're so attentive to the aesthetics of movies. Did you find this to be, if empty, nonetheless a well-made movie or does it strike you as flawed also in production?
5: No, I think it's a well-made movie, definitely. And I think that the evocation of the city at the time, I mean, I think that's now become a domain of software, uh, very sophisticated software creating cities of a certain time. That You can do that very effectively. And I think they use that to great effect. Um, I think the production values, everything about it, I mean, it tells a good story and you can sense the audience being involved. I mean, it's not by no means a a boring film or a film that doesn't engage its audience. I think it's a successful film on many levels. I think it's interesting thinking of the reference to Heath Ledger's performance and how the Joker is this this, um, sort of uh, almost ethereal uh, quality that he has and the presence in the film is peripheral, which is I think very different from making the Joker the focus of the film And maybe that structurally is what I would get at about the film is that by making the Joker the focus of the film, you have to sort of bring in a lot of things that are not necessarily – I don't know. I don't know quite how to describe it. But it's like this thing that you were saying, uh, Irene, about how you've carefully developed the character and you've brought the character to a certain point that you're really creating then this agent of destruction, this agent of chaos, that the film then requires that that be followed through on, which is on a very different level from creating the character. I think that's where its primary dramatic problem is, that it it takes it to a certain point and then there's not much left to what it can do. And so it leaves the audience with a, a massive sort of devolution. Which... All right. We're
3: going unfortunately, going to have to wrap this up here um, just because we have to go out to a little break here. Uh, some nice people are going to ask you to support the kinds of conversation that you're hearing here right now. Please do so uh, during uh, our show. It means that we get a little bit more credits.
5: Even though it's breaking When there are clouds In the sky I'm Betsy
0: Kaplan here with Coyone Wolf, taking just a few seconds out of this podcast that you're listening to of The Colin McEnroe Show. Uh, You can't listen to it or you choose not to listen to it during the day and the evening, but you're going to be rewarded for that because we're not going to be speaking to you as long about asking you to to donate to the show. But we do need that support. We can't do this without you. So please give us a call. 1-800-584-2788 or go online at WNPR.org and keep this programming going. It's
2: possible that while you're listening to this podcast, Betsy Kaplan is figuring out the next show. (laughs) Or not. Or not. Please take a break for once, Betsy Kaplan. But please show Betsy your support. Show us your support. This is the way that you send us a message that you want us to keep going. They do pay attention to those pledges for this show. And when you call 1-800-584-2788 or you go to wnpr.org slash donate you can write in the little box what you think and they do pay attention to that stuff so please give us the rating that is your membership by calling 1-800-584-2788 wnpr.org slash donate and let's get back to the podcast thank you
3: we're back, um, but you can continue to call in and support the show if you want to, too. Uh, with me in studio for the nose, uh, James Hanley, co founder of Cine Studio at Trinity College, Irene Papoulis, who teaches at Trinity College, and Pedro Soto, president and CEO of the new high grade precision technologies. Uh, we're going to talk about Toy Story 4. We were actually supposed to do it when it came out. Uh, I got sick, um, and so uh, we waited until it came out on secondary platforms, which it is now. Uh, you can get it on, uh, you can rent it on some of the uh, streaming platforms. Platforms or get it on, you know, I don't know, Blu ray or whatever people get things on these days. Um, so uh, I guess that is DVD, Blu ray, things like that. So. Um Uh, it also is an incredible box office success. It's the highest grossing Toy Story movie ever and I think the fourth highest G-rated movie ever. Uh, And so we are introduced uh, in this uh, to a new character. Uh, He (laughs) is assembled. uh, He is a decorated plastic uh, uh, food implement. Uh, His name is Forky. He's voiced by the always wonderful, so good to see him doing this kind of work, Tony Hale. Uh, And so uh, we're going to listen to Woody, of course, the mainstay of the series, uh, and Forky uh, having a conversation.
4: Carry me? No. Why do I have to be a toy? Because you have Bonnie's name written on the bottom of your sticks. Why do I have Bonnie's name written on the bottom of my sticks? Because she... Look, she plays with you all the time, right? Uh, yes. And who does she sleep with every night? The big white fluffy thing? No, not her pillow. You! You! <sighs> All right, Forky, you have to understand how lucky you are right now. You're Bonnie's toy. You are going to help create happy memories that will last for the rest of her life. Huh? What? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Doing it for Bonnie. Doing this for Bonnie. Doing it for Bonnie. Okay. Like it or not, you are a toy. Maybe you don't like being one, but you are one nonetheless, which means you are going to be there for Andy when he Who's com- Andy? I mean, Bonnie. You have to be there for Bonnie. That is your
3: job. Well, what's your job? Well, right now, it's to make sure you do yours. Carry me? No! So, Pedro, the last time that you were on the show, we talked about Downton Abbey. And in, in Woody, I hear Carson. I hear this, you know, in a way, now that I've re familiarized yeah. myself with Downton Abbey, I, there is a way in which the toys are downstairs, you know, the downstairs people. They exist to serve, they only have meaning. Uh, if they serve uh, and uh, Woody is making the argument that to serve is an ennobling thing if if, if tis a thing done well. Um, And uh, so I know everybody wants to also compare this movie to The Joker but (laughs) a lot of this is like how how much do you have to accept the lot that's handed out to you? I mean there is sort of a class system here.
1: That's true. And the first two movies um, really drive that home in a very, you know, childlike friendly way that, you know, the toys deserve the love that they get. And, um, you know, that you need to love your, you know, your kids no matter, you know, which which kid you end up with. Right. Um, And Woody's kind of the enforcer of that. So it is interesting to see after three movies of kind of variations on that to to kind of, you know, start talking about that, questioning that obviously through through Forky. Uh, you know the fork who who wishes to you know for the sweet release of of, of death essentially mm-hmm. <laughs> being convinced out of that. Um, so yeah, I mean I think that you know the, the 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 comparison to Downton Abbey is very apt. Once you said that Woody's Carson, I'm like oh wow. You know, uh, granted you know that this movie and, and Toy Story four go in different directions as to where Carson you know the Carson Woody mm-hmm. uh, goes, but uh, I think it's very apt. OK,
3: there's also um, – as there tends to be – we should go – I see that Irene – one thing we found out last June was that Irene hadn't seen any of the Toy Story movies. Um, Sorry. Well, that's OK. I mean, I don't know. who Does Cyrus go by all by himself or something? Uh, but, um, with his dad. With his dad, OK. So um, – If he saw them at all. all right. then, yeah. So this movie does have dark places, toys – in these movies can be scary things. Because we know that anyway, the toys can be scary things. And so this this, not unlike the Joker, does have some dark places it goes, as Pedro pointed out to us.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. You know, there the, the that whole thing about the- Gabby and what she did? I don't know. It, that was pretty dark. Well, th- actually, um, uh, hold your
3: thought okay. j- and because I want you to continue it. But just to set this up, so Gabby Gabby, who is uh, a doll uh, being uh, – who is voiced by Christina Hendricks uh, of Mad Men fame, uh, is um, sitting on a shelf uh, also not realizing her destiny. She's in kind of an antique store uh, because – or a junk shop or something um, because her voice box doesn't work and she feels that for that reason uh, she can never be what she needs to be. Uh, and it's turned her into a little bit of a schemer. Let's hear a little bit of Gabby Gabby.
5: Uh,
4: thank you for your help. I haven't seen Bo in years.
2: May I ask? When were you made?
4: Me? Uh, I'm not sure. Late 50s?
2: (gasps) Me too! Gee, I wonder if we were made in the same factory. Wouldn't that be something?
0: I gotta say, you are in great condition.
4: Well, I try to stay active.
2: And look at that. You have a voice box like me. Benson, show him.
4: Oh, that's, that's really not necessary. I'm Gabby Gabby, and I love you. Wow, you need to fix that.
5: My record works just fine. It's the voice box that's broken. Does yours still work?
4: Hey, there's a snake in my boot.
5: Listen to that. Let's see it. I bet it's the same type. No, no,
4: no, no, thanks. Mine's sewn inside. (laughs) Is Bo around here? Because we need. Oh, the store is about to open. Don't worry, we'll take you where no one will see us. Oh, 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 no, we can't stay. (laughs) Yes, you can.
3: So, Irene, one of the things we learn from zombie so movies is that... evil. Yeah, once, yeah. Once, once, you, once you get used to zombies in zombie movies, you realize that the other people, the people who are much more dangerous are the people. Uh, mm-hmm. And for the toys, the biggest danger may, in fact, come from other toys.
0: Exactly. And, um, and but it's supposed to be fine and, you know, sort of, you, you know, I, I just think the, the horror of that gets really lost in terms of looking at the movie as a whole. And I w- wanted to stay there. I was like, I was there as I was watching it saying, like, wait a second, wait a second. She's evil isn't she you know or but she's not supposed to be And then, but then from his perspective there's this idea of sacrifice is good you know if you sacrifice if you're if you you know if you, if you are loyal and you sacrifice then you're going to be a good person and then you're going to get some re- rewards I mean that's kind of the, the, the um, driving idea in a way I think in terms of in Woody's life which is exactly what the Joker could never do You know, there's nothing, you know, what could he do that would that would allow him to get what to get some kind of wholesome reward? Right. Nothing.
3: James, take it away.
5: Well, I think, you know, one of the fascinating things I think about Gabby Gabby is the music in the background when Gabby Gabby is on, Um, you know, this sort of portentous cello uh, playing. And um, it's a sort of hint of. Maybe not evil, but a hint of foreboding and don't trust this person mm-hmm. kind of thing and it, it going back to this connection with um, uh, with Downton Abbey, I think actually both films are about reassurance in a way a complicated different kind of reassurance in each one um, and as uh, compared with the Joker, the Joker is about unreassurance mm. the yeah. the exact opposite mm-hmm. of that and um one of the things that I think – I like Toy Story 4 a lot. I mean I've liked the whole series really but I think Toy Story 4 is is notable for its introduction of that sort of genuine sinister quality that there are hazards out there kind of thing. and There are people who are not necessarily on your side and – that there are people who dummies
0: are dummies that might attack you dummies are so scary <laughs> you <Yes, laughs>
5: yeah, see so I mean, Gabby oh, Gabby has these that's two
0: right. these
3: retainers <laughs> yes, exactly. uh, who, yeah. who are every, <laughs> Charlie McCarthy type uh, dummies and they're really scary Go ahead. And,
5: and every time they appeared I was in an audience watching that with some kids and every time they appeared there was this sort of rustling you know like like people like, <laughs> like, they, like they were like uh oh what's going to happen now kind of thing yeah. and I think that sets up a kind of dramatic contrast that is really part of the complexity of the toy story writing and the characters and how they're developed and how they they've developed over each movie mm-hmm.
1: and i just
0: think I, it's amazing that this, you think this is more complex than the other movie i think it's really interesting oh, i think it go is on.
1: Oh, much more. i think yeah. this is more complex you than do too? the joker 100 okay. percent. I, okay. I think that there's more yeah. more questions being asked and i think it's a more complicated plot um that the, the I think the Joker is 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 pretty straightforward in terms of what it's presenting, um, you know, basically the failure of society and and what happens with someone who's you know, sort of has their yeah you know, the boot at their at their neck, versus you know I think Toy Story, which is you know pretty complex exploration of kind of an odd subject, which is you know your toys, what do they do? You know it initially started 24 years ago, but what happens when your toys? You know, what do they do when you're not there? And now we have really this, you know, it's like you're asking the questions of, well, what do you do with your toy when you're 20s? You're right. going to college. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what, what's the second life of them? now we have, you know, Bo Peep and this abandoned toys and choosing your own destiny. I think there's just there's a lot going on. Right. It, it, it just, becomes about identity. Yeah. At that point. Well, yeah. That's,
3: I, that's I think the strength of this movie. I I, I don't. I'm not going to engage in invidious comparisons of the two movie. I think two movies. I think they're each complex uh, but in, think in that different ways. But
0: you But you? But you? It's on the top of your list of your favorite movies of 2019.
3: Yeah, I do. Well, I, one thing I was going to say is more than the other three. Toy Stories as I remember them anyway. I thought this occasionally resembled the extremely disturbing Spielberg AI, you know, mm. w- which is about, you know, a similar kind of thing, a made creature that people don't want anymore, you know, or or people may not want anymore. But but I I do think that also Toy Story is I think very much also a workplace story, right? It's 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 about a team working together mm. to do a certain <laughs> thing, which is to make a child happy and 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 what your assigned roles are on that Team and can you ever? I mean, even forget about the British class system for a second. Let's just say in life, in our lives, how do we make choices uh, about maybe whether to deviate from the role that we've been playing for most of our lives? If you've been the person with the clipboard running around making sure you know everybody else does what they're supposed to do and things happen in a good, happy way, and what if you don't feel like doing that anymore? You know, what if there's something more attractive to you? And I think it's really hard. It's hard in life to do that. And I thought Toy Story more than most movies i see about actual human beings
0: <laughs> kind of <laughs> got at some of that question.
5: Movies are such great Rorschach tests, right? Yeah.
0: That we bring our we bring our experience to.
5: But i think that 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 what you're saying Colin about Toy Story is that there is a complexity there about the parsing of relationship and the presence of good and evil if you like. That, that 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 you can't always do the right thing mm-hmm. and the thing that you want to do might not be the good thing for somebody else and you're really dealing with a, a a film that's trying to appeal to kids so they can understand at a certain level but it's also engaging adults in 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 terms of understanding themselves and where they've been and where they're going and also their own kids uh, it's a very complex formula that that they're really playing with to write this film and to produce these characters in the case of the joker uh it, joker is really a film without a a good side it's a descent it's a it's a it's it's a it's a victim movie it's a it's a it's a story of a decline and it doesn't, or, really... or a
0: cautionary tale.
5: Well, all say. right, a cautionary tale. But there's nothing to contrast it there, uh, to me, that I see of somebody or a character or a an ethos which is saying that this is this is bad. It's just showing you all the chaos. It's it's kind of like reactive in that sense. And that's what bothered me about this whole thing about the street rioting with all the clown masks, uh, it, without explaining who these people really were. And without seeing, you know, the, the context, really, other than the fact that these were have-nots who were rioting in the streets because they had been mistreated and not listened to, um, it, it, it makes it on a much simpler reactive level than in something that, like, like Toy Story <clears throat> uh, that is much more complex. And then going back to Downton Abbey, Downton Abbey is a kind of like, that's almost like a, uh, a, a you know, you abstract the evil and take it all out. So that everything about it is a reassurance that it's not – it's a reassurance in the performances too of course. But it's a perform—it's it, it, a reassurance of a system that we know was a failure but it's a reassurance that it can work kind of thing. It, it's its fascinating to see the, the, the arc, the trajectory in all three movies together I think.
3: One thing that we might be leaving out, we're a little short on time here, Pedro, but I mean, another thing we have failed to say so far is Toy Story 4 is really funny too. Uh, and we have these characters <laughs> voiced by Key and Peele who are new and they are predictably terrific <laughs> and and funny. And Tony Hale as Forky, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, Forky's uh, programming tells him he's trash. And he's right. keep, I mean, at the beginning, he's constantly trying to put himself in the trash bin. And that's all, I found that really, really, I mean, I was laughing a lot all, I, all I, 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 the way through the movie.
1: I thought it was, it was hilarious. And and again, I think it's just this juxtaposition of all these kind of deep slash dark slash disturbing ideas with yeah. this hilarious comedy. I mean, Duck and Bunny, um, you know, the, the Key and Peel characters, yeah. I was just... Dying. I mean, they were just so, just hilarious, just just great slapstick uh, paired against it. And you know, it's it's crazy that I mean, this 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 movie does have like a cast of thousands. I mean, you have yes. characters that just keep, you know, <laughs> the toys don't go away, so they just keep getting added to the collection. And and uh, you know, it's really. It was. It was. They, I think they did a pretty good job. I think sometimes it was a little bit, you know, too much. But it was nice to to kind of see how they handled that. I'm
3: being, being told I, by Jonathan McNichol, the last line of the movie is Keanu Reeves saying, "Whoa." Uh, yes, it is. Uh, yeah. I think
0: uh, this is just making me think that it's people that. who know all the other movies and and are part of the culture of Toy Story mm. have a very different reaction to, than somebody like me who just kind of like came out came to it cold,
1: going I, into this movie cold is similar to going into, you know, the Marvel, some of the Marvel movies, Cold War. There's a lot going on and it's being subtly referenced and you just need to have seen it even just to just kind of, you know, see the relationship of Woody and, and, you know. I I think,
0: and it should be part of your life. And so it reminds you of your past and all that, you know, that I just feel like, kind of left see, out of I'm that. Getting,
3: I'm getting prompted to wrap this up here. A great okay. conversation, great discussion for Toy Story 4. You can now see it on various secondary platforms. Let's take a break <laughs> so we can come back and endorse a few things.
2: The <laughs> well, I would break.
4: You should go. can't I can't let you. I can't let you. I can't let you.
3: The producer of this is uh, Jonathan McBance, uh, otherwise known as Jonathan McNichol, the person running around uh, getting all the clips and stuff like that uh, and figuring out what we're going to talk about and all of that uh, and feeding me information as we go along here. Kyle and Wolf is on the board making the whole show sound great. Uh, On Monday, we'll be back with the scramble. I think we're going to be – Plunging into the Gordian knot of uh, Turkey and Giuliani, and I don't know, list seven or other names. And uh, my favorite thing, a company called Fraud Guarantee. You know, I feel like the branding meeting of (laughs) Fraud Guarantee, the branding consultant didn't do a very good job there.
1: Uh,
3: All right, so uh, things to endorse, Uh, Pedro Soto. Why don't you get us started?
1: Yes. um, Well, I'm usually down in the New Haven for the nose, and I will be referencing uh, or endorsing something from New Haven. This uh, month is um, Artspace New Haven, is citywide open studios. Mm. Uh, and this weekend, uh, October 12th and 13th, is Westville and private studios weekend. Um, so it's going to be all over um, focusing on Westville, but also a lot of artists will be opening their private studios. Um, so if you go to org, you can look up all the information and uh, – Visit some pretty cool stuff,
3: right? And if you need to get into one of the studios, you can't get in. You knock on the door three times in Westville, and you say Oppenheimer. Uh, That's the (laughs) password. That'll do it in Westville. (laughs) That'll open any door in Westville, actually. Uh, So, uh, James, what have you got for us?
5: Um, I'm reading an amazing book now by Charles King called "Gods of the Upper Air." Which is um, an extraordinary account of anthropology in the 20th century, and uh, of, about eugenics and about the nature of the idea that race exists or doesn't exist, and human identity. And uh, of course, it touches on what is happening now with the use of identity as a weapon. And uh, it's an extraordinary book. Uh, something I I pick. Uh, uh, it was recommended to be my my husband, and I had not heard about it at all. It's really amazing. Gods of the Upper Air. Mm. You've also got
3: a Sydney studio. That where did you go, Bernadette? Is that what it's called? I yes. have Trouble with long where titles.
5: Where would you go, Bernadette? You go? Yeah. Kate yeah, Cate Blanchett. Kate
3: Blanchett. Um, all right. So uh, speaking of Kate C- Blanchett, a uh, person who plays her at parties, uh, Irene <laughs> Papoulos. Uh, it's a long story. Uh, yeah. What have you got?
0: Um, I uh, th- two things that are, that stem from the Joker. One is I was just blown away to hear the song "White Room" at the end of that uh, end, end of the movie. Um, by cream and ginger baker just died and so i went back and looked at you know listened to cream songs like um you know uh, born under a bad sign and all these other songs by them and they're so good and so i recommend them and also there's this guy Chauncey DeVega that I thought I had dis- whose podcast I thought I had discovered a long time ago so I've sort of been listening to it and then Pedro shared a an article from Salon that I read without looking at the author's name and thought wow this is really interesting thinking about um, neoliberalism and what the what Joker is saying about that, et cetera. It was, and then I looked at the name and it was Chauncey DeVega. I said, Oh my gosh! I thought I discovered him when yeah. I when I found his podcast. So it's a, if you if you see that it's not the Joker, it's Joker. If you see Joker, I would recommend going to Salon and looking for that article because mm-hmm. it's a very interesting critique that's different from. The New York Times and and other sources you might uh, otherwise look at.
3: And what is the name of the Chauncey DeVega podcast?
0: Uh, the Chauncey DeVega podcast, uh, I so, think, or so something like that, or so the, the of, Chauncey DeVega show. Sort of like
3: the Colin McIntyre show. Exactly, okay. exactly. Okay. And, but it's a team, I'm sure. Yeah, I know it, as is this one. <laughs> as is the, I know. Definitely. I just say, next week we'll be down in the Gateway Studios of New Haven, uh, Pedro's usual home. Well, we're going to talk about the Eddie Murphy movie, Dolomite Is My Name. Ooh, I hope Sean is going to come for that one. Anyway, so, um, yeah, I'm going to um, endorse a documentary that is available now on HBO. I believe it is just called Diego Maradona. Diego Maradona was this absolutely amazing soccer player in the 1980s. I, I think he might have been – or football player, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I think he might have been the best. When you see these clips of him playing, it is – He's so balletic, you know? But anyway, it's not really about soccer at all, or football. It's about uh, the fact that he, uh, who comes from the slums of Buenos Aires, winds up being uh, bought, his contract is bought for a huge amount of money by the poorest city in Italy, Naples, which really was downtrodden in lots of different ways, and how he transformed the attitudes of that city and then paid this enormous price for it. He paid this enormous kind of tragic social price for the kind of gift that he gave to the city of Naples, and this also drags in stuff like the Camorra, uh, the the Naples uh, mob, and um, and it's cocaine, and it's, it, it's it's not a particularly happy story in a lot of ways. But but when you do see these clips of Maradona just going through crowds, just dancing with the ball like Pele be damned nobody's ever done this uh, it, it is just an uh, uh, amazing story Did about you a say guy the who, name again it's called it's, it's called Diego Maradona uh, and they they talked about him like he was a god and with a ball he kind of was All
5: right.